Come on, basket heads. Is that anybody? Anybody? Woo! Oh, we rolling deep today. All right. Bastic is in the house. Oh, no, we're at Bastic. I don't know. We can't say that, I guess. Come on, bow your heads. I'm excited to be here today. Thank you all for coming. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this house. We thank you, Father God, for the graciousness, Father God, of the Board of Education for allowing us in, God. We thank you, Lord, right now. And we ask you as we go forward, God, in this service, as we go forward in this word, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to us. Somebody say, minister to me, that we may be fed in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, somebody say amen. I want to continue in our series, Surrender versus Struggle, amen. Uh, week one, I'll do a brief overcap really quickly. We'll get right into this. Week one, we talked about Lot's wife. We talked about looking back, getting stuck in the past places of your life. We talked about getting stuck in a place of hurt, maybe a place of sin, and being in love with things that God hates. Week two, we talked about struggling, uh, being broken towards sin. We talked about how Christians today, they don't hate sin, they hate the result of sin. We don't hate sin because we would stop doing it. We love sin. We hate where sin might take us. Somebody say amen to that. Week three, we talked about never surrendering to a thought of inadequacy as if God can't use you, as if you're not good enough, as if God doesn't love you. Amen? But today, I want to really talk to you. Today is what Christians call, somebody say, Palm Sunday. Today's Palm Sunday, and I want to talk about the triumphant entry of Jesus. Come on, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And I really believe that God has a word for somebody in here today. Amen. I got a couple people who want to hear from God. Amen. How many of you like our setup here? Amen. Don't look awesome. I want to. I want to really thank the. We had about forty vis, uh, visitors. Wow, forty. Um, forty staff members and, and volunteers who came in here. Some of them starting at seven o'clock in the morning, and came in here and, and they've been working tirelessly all week long. We've been ambassadors. We've been setting up, breaking down, setting up, breaking down, and so. Uh, why don't you give a round of applause to all of our volunteers, amen? You know, before I go forward right now, I, I, you know, before I go forward right now, I believe that God has a purpose for our church. My pastor put on Facebook, Pastor John Moratorio of Calvary Life, he said sometimes God will let you land in a pit so you can catch an elevator to the penthouse. Come on, Amen. You know, I believe that even though we were displaced, that God has a purpose for us. That God has a purpose for your life. Amen. Tell somebody next to you, you're not here by accident. Come on, let's get into this word. Anybody excited? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on it, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd, somebody say very large, 
spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. We pick up the story while Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. <clears throat> and as he comes into Jerusalem, he is coming to celebrate the feast of Passover. At this point in time, there are Jews from all over the Roman Empire that have come to celebrate the feast of Passover. Passover was when the angel of death had come over the Egypt and they had been set free and liberated. And God, he said, if you kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over you. Amen. And so Jesus is coming in here to celebrate this. This is the Sunday before the death of Jesus. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey that had never been ridden before. Luke chapter 19 tells us this donkey had never been ridden before. That's an amazing thing that instantly when the king of glory sat on this coat that had never been ridden before, it immediately was broken under the anointing of Jesus. I don't have time to talk about how when you really submit to God, the anointing breaks you. You don't kick against God. I, I dare one of you to go grab a little mule or a horse or a colt and ride something that hasn't been ridden before. It's going to buck at you. It's going to kick you right off. But when Jesus sat on it, instantly it was broken. This is the Sunday before the death of Jesus, a time where he will suffer great pain and great anguish. He would die a miserable death as a ransom for our salvation and the disciples find this colt just as Jesus instructed. And they brought this colt to Jesus and he gets on it and he makes his way to Jerusalem. As he rode, people began to lay their cloaks and they began to lay palm branches. This is why they call it Palm Sunday. And they began to lay it before him as his donkey rode over them. When we read the scripture, it's labeled as the triumphal entry. It is uniquely named the triumphal entry because in Roman times... When a general came in or a king or an emperor was coming into a city and he was celebrating the victory of that king, they would give them a triumph. It's called the triumph. And what would happen is the thousands of people, tens of thousands upon thousands of people, they would come out and they would speak and shout the greatness of this king. They would shout that he was victorious. They would shout that he was good and he was full of glory. And yet now Jesus who is the son of God, king of the Jews. He was not born just nobody. The angel told the three wise men he was born a king this day in the town of Bethlehem of Judea. And finally, Jesus is receiving the proper due as a king and people are coming and they're shouting praises to him. You with me today? This is what Julius Caesar would have seen when he came into Rome. The Senate of Rome has to approve this. The government has to approve it. And now imagine Jesus is coming in. He's got no government approval, but he's receiving a triumph. He's receiving the reward of a king. And then you wondered why they killed him. Because he received the reward of a king. Not any king, a victorious king. Or when you laid down your cloak in front of someone's horse or mule or a dignitary, it represented that you were surrendering and submitting to them. 
They were surrendering and submitting to Jesus. Understand this. This was the highest honor any king, any general could have received. And Jesus was receiving this honor. And they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is directly taken out of Psalms chapter 118. Every person who was shouting this to him would have known what it meant. They were calling him the long-awaited king, the long-awaited Messiah. They thought he was Messiah over Israel, but he came to save the world. Come on, tell somebody next to you, he's going somewhere. At the time of Jesus' birth, the revelation was given that he was a king of the Jews. And they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, who the highest in heaven. Hosanna means save us. And they're crying out to Jesus, would you save us from the tyranny of the Romans? Jesus, would you save us from the tyranny of our circumstances? Because, because they, were, they were taken captive by another nation. They're saying, save us from being captives. Save us from having people and rulers over us. Save us. You see, as I lay the groundwork for what I'm about to tell you, I need you to understand that Jesus is the king. Not a nice proverbial sense of the word, but he's a literal, figurative king with all power. For when he resurrected and ascended into heaven in Matthew, the 28th chapter, he declared all power and all authority has been given to me. What amazes me is that the only place Jesus does not have all power is in the church in the lives of believers today. It amazes me that he has all power all over the earth, but not in the church. We've handcuffed him and not allowed him to move. We are a spiritually powerless generation who does not wield the power of God because we have not surrendered to the kingship of Jesus. Scriptures tells us they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. They wanted rescuing from the circumstances of their life. They desired saving from the Roman tyranny. They desired saving from dictatorship. In just a few days, this very same crowd would cry, crucify him. In just a very few days, this crowd would cry, crucify him. When this crowd cried out for saving, it was not real saving they wanted. If I can just sidetrack here for a minute, when we cry out to God to save us, oftentimes you don't want God to save you from sin. You want God to save you from the circumstances your sin has caused. We've become a generation of Christians who only want circumstantial saving. We want God to save us from the hardships of life that sin caused. We cry out to God after we had a few kids and can't handle the burden. We cry out to God after you young men have fathered three kids and can't take care of none of them. Then you say, God, my life is too stressed out. Well, where were you calling out to God when you were sinning? Oh, can I just be honest today? This is a bigger building. I have to be more honest with you guys. Oh, somebody say amen. They cried out for saving. We cry out to God and beg God to help us and to get us out of our mess and to change our lives. But in reality, we only want God to change the circumstances of our lives, not the reason we got into the mess. 
We too, we cry out, save us, save us in church. We lift our hands on a Sunday morning saying, God, I need you. We go to God in prayer saying, God, I need you. Usually it's within the last few minutes of the day when we already messed everything up and we want God to fix it. Oh, and we say, God, I need saving. Or tomorrow, I want to have a better day, Lord. I want to have a better day. We cry out, save us. You see, these people wanted Jesus to be king, but on their terms. And a few days later, when Jesus had yet to lift a sword and they saw that Jesus wasn't doing what they wanted, they cried out, crucify him. Are you with me today? They would cry out, crucify him. If I were honest with, if, rather, if we're honest with ourselves, most times we only want saving from circumstances and not from the cause of our circumstances. It's like the old saying, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, you can feed him for a lifetime. What I'm trying to tell you is if you change a sinner's circumstances, you save their day. But if you change their ways that cause their circumstances, you revolutionize their life. Some of you want the day to be saved. Some of you want somebody to give you a proverbial fish rather than teach you how to fish. You want somebody to pray over you, abracadabra, in the name of Jesus. You go home, everything's better, rather than teaching you how to stay out of sin. I think that God far too often sees the church crying out for forgiveness all the time. And, and the thing about it is this, is that Paul said in Hebrews chapter 6 that we should get past the elementary foundation of repentance. Meaning that repentance is the basic level of Christianity and that afterwards you should grow on that foundation, plant yourselves and live a holy life to the best of your ability and stand for righteousness. Stand for the good grace of God. Far too often in this generation we see people who want salvation on their terms. God is here to fix the culture of your life and in turn affect the character of your life. And when God gets a hold of your character, he can change your decision-making process. Which then leads to a life of holiness and then your circumstances will change. He's not going to change your circumstances and then lead you to live holy. He's going to change your character. Take on the heart of God. We want salvation on our terms. We want this watered down cookie cutter version of Jesus. We want a clay version of Christ that we can mold into what we think Christ should be like. A version of Jesus where life is perfect but holiness is not on our minds. We want a brand of Christianity that gives us a great life and salvation but allows us to sit in here cursing and swearing on our televisions and in our homes and to see sexually explicit material and never grieve in our heart that our generation is going to hell. We want this brand of Christianity that just takes advantage of God's grace. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 1 that when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. And the truth about grace is that once you find grace, the truth has set you free and you don't have to keep going back and forth. And he did not come with just a partial measure of faith. The Bible says he came full of grace, full of truth. He was the complete embodiment of truth and grace. If some of us are honest today, you want saving from the results of your sin rather than sin itself. 
And these people, they cried out, Hosanna, but they did not want real saving for the... <laughs> because he came bearing true saving. But what they wanted was just set me free from where I'm at. If I can be so bold as to tell you, Jesus is not just some meek little lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is not just this, this like, sweet guy. He's not just this extra nice person. And I'm not saying that Jesus isn't all those things, but at the top of everything, he is a mighty, righteous king. <laughs> at the beginning of it all, he is the king. And I came today with one purpose, and that's to ask you this. Have you surrendered and submitted to the king? God's not a concern with, with partial obedience. God's not concerned with incomplete submission. If God was okay with incomplete, he would have never made Eve for Adam. If God was okay with incomplete, he would have never, hear me now, never had Adam name every single animal. If God, God's not like us where we start something, you Puerto Ricans and don't finish it. It's always the carpenter's house who's never done, the painter's house who's half-painted, and the guy who works electronics who doesn't know what he's doing. It's always the mechanic whose car makes the funny noises. It's always the person who can do the job who doesn't do the job because we get comfortable. We're okay with being incomplete, but Jesus, God is not okay with incomplete. If God was okay with incomplete, he would have never caused the weather patterns on the earth. He would not care if the sun rose or if it just did whatever it wanted, when it wanted, and how it wanted. God is obsessed with complete, which is why he completes everything. Amen. Shout me down. I love it. That's great. It helped me preach. But listen, that means that you have to give God complete submission. Complete surrender. God is not concerned with you partially listening to him. He's a full, holy, complete kind of God. He's a king. I like it how Dr. Lockridge said it. He's an old preacher. My father showed me a, a sermon clipping and, and I loved it. <clears throat> he, he said some great things. He said, my king was born king. The Bible says that he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, and that's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's the king that we serve. David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. My king is the only one who there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his great supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful, impartially merciful. That's the God that you serve. He's a great king. He is the son of God. He's the sinner savior, the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone all by himself. He is God. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the grandest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. 
historic theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's the king that you serve. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of your needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all of his people. He heals the sick, cleanses the leper, forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captive, defends the feeble. He blesses the young and he serves the unfortunate. That's the God that you serve. He regards the aged, rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. That's the king that you serve. Do you know the King Jesus? He's a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway to righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the getaway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the caption of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislator. He's the overseer of all the overcomers. That's the God that you serve. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. His office is manifold. His promise is secure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. He reigns in righteousness. His yoke is easy, church. His burden is light. I wish I could describe this Jesus to you. He's indescribable. That's the kind of king you serve. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. And my Jesus is irresistible. I'm coming to tell you that the heavens of heavens can't contain him. Let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. Are you with me today? But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. But they found out they couldn't get the testimony of the witnesses to agree against him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's the king that you serve. He's always been, always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he has no predecessor. He'll have no successor. That's the kind of God that you serve. There's nobody before him. There's nobody after him. That's the king you serve. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Somebody shout glory. Is that the king that you serve? Oh, of the earth is under the auspice of Jesus just a technical word for authority not part of it not some of it all of it the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof do you know him Jesus that king of glory he came riding on a mule not on a lofty horse he came with grace and truth he came not with the sword but he came with the towel and he washed his disciples feet have you submitted and surrendered your life to jesus i know some of you you're saved you're in the gospel you know jesus christ i know some of you do but if you've really submitted your life to king jesus you would love your enemies 
If you've really surrendered and submitted your life, you would turn the other cheek. If you've submitted your life, you would love and cling to righteousness. If you've submitted your life, the most important thing in your life would be submitting your life. If you've really submitted and surrendered your life to this king, his will would come before your own. You would never think negatively of your neighbor because the king's power is flowing through you. His love would permeate your life. Gossip would not be found on your lips if you loved and submitted your life to this King Jesus. And I think some of you are saying to yourself, well, I might have some of those things in my life. And no one's perfect. None of us are. But yet true submission calls for all these things. We've fallen into the lie that we're always going to sin and so we don't try not to. But I come preaching you a good news of the grace of Jesus Christ that empowers you to live holy. It empowers you to live holy, even when you don't think that you can. If you've really submitted your life to Jesus, your life of sin would not seem worth living in comparison to living for the cross. If you've really uh, submitted your life to Christ, bitterness would not reside in you. You would not hate your ex-wife. You would not hate your ex-husband. You would not hate your baby's father or your baby's mother. You would treat them with the respect of Christ and pray for them. Well, that's a real gospel right there. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, love your enemies. He didn't say, I think this is a really good idea. Hey, let's tell everybody to love their enemies. Jesus really meant it. I know that might scare you, church, to find out that he really meant half the stuff he said. That's a scary thought. But Jesus wants you to love your enemies. <clears throat> if you've really submitted your life to King Jesus, you would never be the same, for he is the bringer of light and salvation, and all the earth is under his control. This type of submission and surrender is not based on fear, but based on love. A surrender that is not worth struggling against. It is greater to surrender to God's kingship. For him to rule over your life and struggle in a place of pain or complacency. Can I tell you something? As I was growing up, which I didn't do much of because I'm still very short, but as I was getting older, I'll say, getting a real nice Lori, that's too loud of a laugh. As I was, <clears throat> somebody said, getting older. As I was getting older in the church, they would, they would preach this, and it's, it's okay to preach this, because sometimes I preach it. It's what we call, they would preach fire and brimstone. God's angry. He's up in heaven with a lightning bolt. And the moment you sin, bam, you're dead. They would, they would try to steer the sin out of me. But there's something about telling the kid not to do something that drives him to it. There's something about telling I don't want you having a girlfriend, and by the time they're 12, they got a girlfriend. I don't want you drinking. They're going to go drink. I don't want you smoking. They're going to go smoke. Am I telling you don't tell your kids that? No, I'm just telling you that when you tell them not to do something too much, you push them to it. And then the old way of, of, of God and church Back maybe about 15 to 20 years ago, it was all about you're going to hell, the rapture's coming, get ready, it's going to come, and it's just, I never thought I'd live to see 16. I turned 16, and I was like, crap, I don't have a plan. I said, well, that's okay, I'm not going to live to see 20, because Jesus is coming, and Y2K. And I sat there praying, 11 o'clock, come on, Jesus will take me to the rapture, but I know what's going to happen right now. They're just convinced Jesus is coming. Parents bought all types of water, all types of peanut butter and perishables in case we went into a zombie apocalypse. And, and, and 
Y'all laughing at me, but you know some of your parents have some spam up in the, in the, in the kitchen and, and, then, and, then, and then they want to put it in the attic so that nobody sees it and so you can hide it. My parents were hiding water. They were hiding all types of stuff. They were building secret hideaways in the attic and stuff. And so in case the zombies came, they wouldn't get our bread and water. And I'm just kidding about that. And just people who couldn't afford water filling their bathtubs with water. That's nasty. And, and they tried scaring the Jesus into me. And scaring the hell out of me. If you get what I mean. They never told me how much he loved me. They told me how he loved me, how he loved me when I was good. They told me how he loved me when I did things right. They never told me he loves me just as much in the midst of my mistakes. They never told me he loves me just as much in the midst of my sin. They never told me he loves me when I'm filthy and dirty. He loves me at all times. And it was when I found out how much he loved me. It was when I found out how much he loved me that I was able to go more towards him. Because when they tell you that he, he, he all this sin and stuff and, and you're going to die and sin and go to hell and all that stuff, when they scare you, it makes you feel like you can never get close to Jesus. It makes you feel like you can never get close to God. It makes you feel like you can never be the person God's called you to be. But I came to tell someone today that if you find yourself in the midst of sin, we always hear people say, oh, if I walked in the church, you know, it, it would burn down. I have not seen any churches burning down. You know why? Because that place is designed for you. We've taught that the church is designed for Christians. That's a load of garbage. I'm not building this for y'all. Y'all already here. We didn't get a bigger place to have service in for y'all. Y'all was already here. We did it for the people God was sending in. We did it for the lost souls that are coming in. When I found out that he loved me in the midst of all my mistakes, it drove me to tears to find out that this king he loves me. You see, when I was younger, they would tell me all types of stuff, and I really, I never thought I'd be married. They gave me this type of gospel that was really driven into a lot of the, I would just say the Pentecostals all across the nation. Just pray, get in your prayer closet, forget the whole world exists. There was no evangelism. It was just forget the world exists, hide yourself from the world, shelter yourself from the world, and wait for the rapture. And that is the biggest lie of Satan because I don't read that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in case you don't realize it and maybe you don't read your Bible and you heard about the rapture, after he takes us up, we come back here. He takes us up. He sends us back down here. I don't know if you know that. Um, You should read your Bible. It's a great thing to do. The majority of people will end up here back on earth as God resets the earth. And so they taught me to always wait to go, wait to go in the rapture, wait to go with God. And and, and I was always in fear, but yet now I found this gospel of Jesus Christ, this grace of God. This mighty king of the triumphal entry is one of contrasts. It's the story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey Not in royal robes, but in the clothes of the poor and the humble. Jesus Christ comes not to conquer by force as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy. He is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, 
but of lowliness and servanthood and sonship. He conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. His message is one of peace with God, not of temporal peace. Eternal peace where he offers us freedom from sin and freedom from satanic forces. That's the king you serve. Are you with me today? And maybe you're sitting in this room and you don't know Christ as your king. And maybe you've been in Christ your whole life and you don't know Christ as your king. I would really challenge you today. I would challenge you with all my heart. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. Tell somebody next to you, he loves you. We serve a God that is all-powerful. And here comes Jesus. On the week he would die, receiving an entrance and a triumph, as they call it. And he's receiving this triumph. And, and a triumph is for people who've had a victory. But yet it was prophetic because he would have a victory over death. You see, we need to be like those people for that moment who surrendered and submitted their life unto Jesus Christ. They surrendered and submitted their lives. You see, he's the king over Bridgeport. He's the king over Stratford and New Haven and Milford. He's king in Waterbury. He's king wherever you're from, from Shelton. He's king in Norwalk and Westport and Stamford. He is king. Did you know you had a king? Because if you knew you had a king, you would understand the word of the king is law. And when he speaks to love your neighbors, he really means love your neighbors. When he speaks to be more like Christ, he really meant it wasn't like a nice thing that he thought we should do. It was a command. You know, I came with one purpose today. And that is to get you to grasp the greatness and the grandeur of the king that you serve. To get you to understand that the God you serve is so powerful and so great, it's hard to comprehend him. Would you stand with me right now? I came today to offer you a chance just to submit and to surrender your heart to this king. Come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. Come on, don't look around. Just every head bowed and every eye closed as we go forward in just the next few minutes. Somebody say, somebody say, we got five more minutes. Isn't that exciting, church, in five more minutes? Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Ushers, come on, nobody moving around. We're just worshiping right now. That's right, that's right. Just bow your heads right now. Do you know him? You know, my first invitation right now will be for those who don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this is your first time worshiping at Citywide and you just don't know God. Maybe you don't know him, haven't made that decision. Maybe you did in the past, but not now. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've fallen away, but you desire that connection with him right now. Maybe you found yourself what the church might call backslidden. But Jesus might call wayward. Would you just lift your hands right now? If that's you, just shoot your hand up. Thank you. I got three hands shooting up. Four and five and six. I got seven. I got eight. Come on. Come on. We got nine and ten on the left side. Eleven and twelve. Come on. Come on. Come on. You can do better than that. He's calling the wayward home right now. 
Come on, that's something to celebrate. Maybe, maybe you're in your seat and you know Jesus Christ, but you're not in complete submission to him. If that's you and you want to surrender, would you lift your hands with these people who are making a decision for Christ? Come on. Amen. That's right. You're saying, Pastor, I'm not completely surrendered to God, but yet I want to be. I want to be. Come on, that's you. Come on, that's a beautiful thing. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come after your heart right now. I just want to draw closer to you. Tell them, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Come on, say it with authority and boldness, church. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Teach me to submit to your ways. Teach me to surrender to your heart. I desire you and only you. God, you hear our prayers. You hear our cries. Come on, all across the sanctuary, just lift your hands right now. Come on, lift your hands. we got three more minutes. Come on, lift your hands. Maybe someone around you just gave their life to Christ. Maybe someone around you. But I hear the voice of the Lord crying out right now. There's a, there's a, a wind of change coming over Bridgeport. I feel the Spirit of God declaring unto us today, there is a wind of change, a shift coming in. Come on, if you had your hand raised, God is calling you to bring in a wind of change. God desires to use you. God desires to touch you. Come on, would you begin to worship him? Would you begin to shout to him right now? God desires a wind of change. Father, you see our hearts. You see our hearts right now. Take over us, God. Set us on fire so the world can watch us burn. Set us on fire for the glory of the cross. For the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, keep your hands lifted.